Welcome to Israel Week in Review. I'm your host, Ben Ronsman. Today is Friday, September 3rd. In about 15 minutes per week, you can gain insight into the top stories taking place in Israel and the broader Middle East. We can also provide you with explorations of history, culture, politics, and more from the region. Visit IsraelWeekInReview.com to receive updates and hard-hitting content. Israel Week in Review is brought to you by Cleveland Jewish Funerals. Cleveland Jewish Funerals has opened a new funeral home on Miles Road, conveniently located near Orange and Solon. They conduct Jewish funerals for every Jewish denomination, from Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and Unaffiliated. To learn more about pre-planning, contact Community Liaison David Pearl, clevelandjewishfunerals.com. This program is also supported by Origin Story Marketing. Search engine optimization is essential in today's business environment. To learn more about how Origin Story Marketing can help customers find your business, visit originstorymarketing.com. I would like to apologize to my audience for missing a week here at Israel Week in Review. Let me explain why. Facebook suspended our ability to promote or boost our posts. At this point, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt. Supposedly, anything with overtly political content needs to register with the company. I suppose that this is understandable, and Facebook does have a duty to moderate discussions that can get out of hand. However, I was a bit concerned that our account was flagged after an episode that criticized Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mind you, I've tried to make sure that this podcast is not overly partisan, but rather policy-based. I will continue to report on global events and provide listeners with my perspectives. Sometimes these observations have political implications. That goes with the territory. However, at this time, I'd like to urge our audience to like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Freedom of speech and expression is the cornerstone of any free society. So now that I've explained why we've taken a week off, let's get started by breaking down two weeks' worth of news from Israel and the broader Middle East. The change government, led by Naftali Bennett, achieved a major milestone Thursday evening. The Knesset approved the 2021-22 state budget in its first reading, passing four separate bills. Shockingly, this was the first time the Knesset has passed budget legislation since 2018. This was the result of the Israeli government's inability to form a stable coalition during the last few years of Netanyahu's tenure as prime minister. The bill now heads to the Knesset's finance committee and must pass their second and third readings to become law. This is a major accomplishment for the current government composed of widely disparate political parties with very different agendas and constituencies. After the successful vote, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett stated, quote, After three years without a budget, tonight we approved an excellent budget in its first reading. This is a budget that strengthens the security and health systems and is concerned with the income of Israeli citizens. This is a budget that cares for citizens and not for political interests. Bennett further stated that he was proud of the way that disagreements were solved through goodwill and real partnership. That's how we get better results for the sake of the people of Israel. The budget includes a number of measures designed to reform religious institutions in the state. In the previous coalition, most of these reforms would have been unthinkable. That's because the Haredi parties of Yadut HaTorah and Shas were essential parts of Netanyahu's coalition. Needless to say, these parties strongly opposed any changes to the status quo. The reforms in question include plans to remove the chief rabbinate's monopoly on kosher certification. The government has announced plans to license independent kosher certifiers. Kosher certification in the United States is run under the auspices of myriad kosher agencies. American kosher consumers must familiarize themselves with a range of kosher organizations. Until now, the Israeli rabbinate has monopolized this function in Israeli society. 
In addition to this, the government has committed to liberalizing the Orthodox conversion process. It must be noted that the bill continues to invest the Orthodox chief rabbinate with sole authority over conversions, but makes the process more accommodating to converts than has historically been the case. This is incremental and not revolutionary reform. In a move that will certainly catch the attention of the non-Orthodox Jewish movements in North America, the government has committed itself to implementing a 2016 plan to create a new prayer area at the southeastern corner of the Temple Mount. This prayer area, often referred to by its supporters as the Esrat Yisrael, would allow egalitarian prayer services according to the customs of Reform and Conservative Judaism, as well as the cross-denominational movement known as the Women of the Wall. This plan had initially been approved by the Netanyahu government after years of study and coordination between the Jewish agency and representatives of diaspora Jewry. After the Haredi parties balked at its adoption, the plan was controversially shelved. The current government has committed itself to reviving the original plan. Another controversial aspect of the budget reforms the agricultural sector in Israel by significantly lowering agricultural tariffs, allowing more food to be imported from abroad. This measure was strongly championed by Minister of Finance Avigdor Lieberman and his Israel Beite New Party. Mr. Lieberman has argued that his measure will dramatically reduce the cost of living for the average Israeli. It has been strongly opposed by Israel's farmers who are very concerned that it will gravely damage the agricultural sector. What is interesting is that the government was able to reconcile the positions of two of its constituent parties. Historically, the Social Democratic Merits and Labor Parties have been advocates for Israel's farmers and the country's kibbutzim and moshavim. It is not surprising that the opposition, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, characterized the budget as, quote, terrible. Mr. Netanyahu, who had to address the Knesset from a specially constructed quarantine area due to a trip abroad, stated that, quote, the budget has cutbacks and raised taxes in complete contradiction to your assurances. You have harmed the farmers, the weaker classes, the periphery, the middle class. Despite this condemnation, the opposition did not generally place too many obstacles to the bill's passage. The bill passed rather smoothly and uneventfully, in sharp contrast to the opposition's strong resistance to earlier bills. The budget allocates $135 billion in 2021 and $140 billion in 2022. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett returned to Israel late Sunday evening after a visit to the United States and a meeting with U.S. President Joe Biden. The meeting was initially scheduled to take place last Thursday, but was postponed because of deadly attacks against U.S. troops and Afghan civilians at the Kabul airport. The attack was perpetrated by the Islamic State and included suicide bombings and an assault by gunmen. 13 U.S. service members were killed, as well as at least 169 Afghan civilians. There was initially some concern that the meeting would be canceled altogether. Prognosticators reading the tea leaves have argued that the fact that the administration rescheduled the meeting for Friday, despite the gravity of the events in Afghanistan, was a sign of the strength of bilateral U.S.-Israel relations. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's main objective for the meeting was to present the strategy for confronting Iran's nuclear program and regional activities without returning to the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, known as the JCPOA. While the Biden administration strongly advocated a return to the deal, in recent weeks, administration officials have indicated that a deal is becoming increasingly unlikely. The Islamic Republic recently inaugurated a new and even more hardline president named Ibrahim Raisi. Many Iran observers have suggested that Mr. Raisi is being groomed to become Iran's new supreme leader after the 82-year-old current leader, Ali Khamenei, departs from the scene. 
While the Iranian system of government has some of the trappings of democratic governance, the system is in actuality run by the supreme leader and a body of Islamic clerics known as the Shura Council. Upon his return to Israel, Mr. Bennett proclaimed the visit a major success. Mr. Bennett said that the highlight of the trip was meeting Mr. Biden, who he referred to as a friend of Israel, attentive to the country's needs. Mr. Bennett stated that he felt that the two leaders had developed a rapport with one another. The Israeli leader invited Mr. Biden to visit Israel in the future. Mr. Biden reiterated the American commitment to never allow Iran to develop a nuclear weapon. The president stated that, quote, we're putting diplomacy first and seeing where that takes us. But if diplomacy fails, we're ready to turn to other options. Mr. Bennett stressed that the two leaders had agreed on joint strategic cooperation to combat the Iranian nuclear program. The two leaders have seemingly agreed on a more conciliatory approach that emphasizes discretion between the two countries and a desire to keep disagreements out of the public eye. The two allies have agreed to develop a joint approach determined by the country's respective political and military leadership. Mr. Bennett also touted advances towards Israel joining the U.S. Visa Waiver Program. This would allow Israeli citizens to travel to the United States for business or tourism for up to 90 days without a visa. It is believed that Israel would be the 40th nation to join this program if the plan moves forward. While in Washington, the two leaders discussed Israel's response to violent border riots and incendiary balloon attacks emanating from Gaza. Mr. Bennett stated that Israel would continue to act on behalf of the country's security. Mr. Bennett placed the blame for the intermittent violence on the Gaza border squarely at the feet of Hamas. The Israeli Prime Minister conditioned Gaza reconstruction on an immediate and complete halt to rocket fire and incendiary balloon attacks, as well as progress on a deal to return two Israeli citizens held captive in the coastal territory and the remains of two Israeli soldiers held by Hamas. It is being reported that Secretary of State Blinken has insisted that Israel should continue to provide fuel and electricity to Gaza, even if Hamas refuses to return Israeli captives. Gali Tahal, Israel Army Radio, is reporting that Israel and the United States will not emphasize their disagreements regarding Israeli construction in Judea and Samaria, or the West Bank. It's reported that the two sides have agreed that the United States will not pressure Israel on the issue as long as the Jewish state does not greenlight massive new construction, particularly outside the major settlement blocks. In economic news, Israel inaugurated a new $1.7 billion port terminal in Haifa Bay on Wednesday. The new port is designed to handle some of the world's largest container vessels. Today's largest vessels can be 400 meters or a quarter mile in length. The project is anticipated to reduce the cost of foreign imports and is expected to benefit virtually all sectors of the Israeli economy, from large industries to individual consumers. A $1 billion port is scheduled to open in Ashdod in the coming months. Despite Israel's peace agreements with Egypt and Jordan, Israel is economically isolated from neighboring countries. The country is almost totally reliant on its three major international ports, Haifa and Ashdod on the Mediterranean, and Eilat on the Red Sea for its economy. In fact, 99% of Israel's global trade flows through these ports. Controversially, China's state-owned Shanghai International Port Group won the tender to operate the facility for 25 years. The arrangement created controversy within both Israel and the United States. Israel's submarine fleet docks near the new commercial port, and American naval vessels periodically dock in Haifa Bay. This has caused some observers to be concerned about potential Chinese espionage. China has expressed much greater interest in investing in Israel in recent years. 
the Chinese seem to be particularly interested in Israeli innovations in the realms of medical technology, robotics, food technology, and artificial intelligence. The Chinese are also considered the global leader in major infrastructure construction. While the Haifa port terminal was built by two Israeli construction firms, it will be operated by a Chinese firm, at least for 25 years. The Ashdod port will be built and run by Chinese companies. Elsewhere, a major section of Tel Aviv's light rail line is being constructed by a number of Chinese firms who are also building on other line extensions. Israel has had to carefully navigate its relationship with China. While it has expressed in no uncertain terms that its foremost global alliance is with the United States, it cannot ignore China, which is currently the world's second largest economy. Currently, 10% of all foreign investment in Israel comes from China. This is a far smaller percentage of investment than either the United States or Europe. However, there are indications that the Chinese are slowing their Israeli investments due to a variety of factors. These include opposition from the United States, new Chinese rules regulating foreign investments, and the collateral impact from the global coronavirus pandemic. In defense news, Russian security forces begin patrolling the Syrian city of Dera, near the Syrian, Israeli, and Jordanian border. Russian and Syrian flags were seen flying in the city, known as the birthplace of the Syrian revolution. The Russians were brought in to help administer the area in order to prevent further bloodshed and urban warfare in the city. Dera is amongst the Assad regime's final mopping-up operations in the Syrian civil war. In recent weeks, Syrian and Iranian-backed forces have shelled the city and prevented food, medical supplies, and fuel from entering one of the last rebel-controlled enclaves in the country. The Syrians did allow a corridor for civilians to leave, and it is estimated that over half of the city's 100,000 people have fled. The Russians brokered a deal, ostensibly to prevent additional humanitarian disasters from occurring. This deal requires all rebels to surrender their weapons to Russian troops while proceeding to reconciliation centers where rebels are seemingly being given the opportunity to surrender and reintegrate into Syrian society. Three Syrian checkpoints have been set up around the city, and Russian troops remain in Dera at the request of the rebels, who fear being massacred. This means that only one remaining Syrian city, Idlib, remains under rebel control, and the Syrian government, with essential military assistance from Iran and Russia, has reimposed its authority over the remainder of the country. As the Syrian civil war draws to a close, it is important to recognize the shocking casualties incurred during this conflict. 600,000 Syrians have been killed, including 160,000 civilians. 6.7 million people are internally displaced, and 6.6 million people have become refugees. The economy is utterly shattered, and Syria has become completely reliant on its allies, Iran and Russia, for survival. The Assad regime, while greatly weakened, continues to survive. This has been Ben Rothsman from Israel Week in Review, providing you with a breakdown of the week's news from Israel, as well as thoughtful perspectives on the region's politics, history, culture, and more. Visit IsraelWeekInReview.com in order to receive regular updates and hard-hitting content. Please like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on any number of channels where this program is available. This includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Stay tuned for additional content, including our deep dives on varied topics and upcoming interviews. Israel Week in Review is brought to you by Cleveland Jewish Funerals. Cleveland Jewish Funerals has opened a new funeral home on Miles Road, conveniently located near Orange and Solon. 
They conduct Jewish funerals for every denomination, from Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and Unaffiliated. To learn more about pre-planning, contact Community Liaison David Pearl, ClevelandJewishFunerals.com. Israel Week in Review has been brought to you through the generous support of Origin Story Marketing, helping customers find your business through search engine optimization. To learn more, visit OriginStoryMarketing.com. Thank you.